when you plant your seed, you stake your claim to God's promise. Hey, I'm Ailish, and this is Jezebel and Friends, where my friend Helen and I are going to share some of our stories from Catholic school. Hey, I'm Helen, and to give you some context, we attended a K-8 through grade Catholic school and then an all-girls Catholic high school. This episode wraps up our conversation about sexual shame. Shame! Shame! Repent or die! And then we'll leave you with a funny story about us being ratchet. Our episodes always need a trigger warning because themes of abuse are always present when unpacking the Catholic experience, especially in the first half of this episode. Um, yes, there's a lot of mentions about sexual abuse in what we're going to talk about now. Ailish, I forgot to even tell you this. So on Apple Podcasts, we have two reviews. One is a five-star review from me. (laughs) The other one is, like, a one-star review from, like, a troll who just says that it just says Valley Girls or something idiotic. Cool. It's probably Remember how we always used to talk about how we sounded the same and we, like, had, like, specific voices? He was doing everything but calling us stupid, but we know what he meant. Absolutely. It's definitely an incel, so... We've never asked our listeners to leave us a review before, but if you can, just give us a five-star review. That would be nice because our rating is like 2.8 stars now, and that's just kind of sad. I'd rather just have no rating than that. Do you think that review is from someone we know? I don't know how anyone would find our podcast if they didn't know us because it like doesn't show up that easily when you search it. Yeah, I feel like the only reason it comes up for me is because I'll go out of my way to re-listen to our episodes, like, a few times, just if I need a good laugh. Or, like, the only people that I know who know about it, who have listened to it, are people that I, like, am friends with who I've sent it to. Or they've seen it, like, being posted. Yeah, we have about, we have 50 followers on Instagram, and there are, like, 50 people that religiously listen to our episodes. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Because <laughs> I know we would still do it, even if it was just for us. Yeah, I know. Well, I, that's kind of how it started out. I know I, I feel like I say this all the time, but, like, when I was editing one of the earlier episodes... And even when I listen to them once they're up, I laugh so hard. And I don't know if that's like narcissistic of me to just say that I think like we're so funny, but I do. Like, I think it's funny. Oh my gosh, same. And like when I'm like going through issues with family members that feel like really insulting to me because either they're like invalidating my experiences or something like I go and listen to the podcast because, one, we're speaking the truth and, like, no one can take that away from us. And, two, we're laughing about it so that we don't cry. And I also need that. (laughs) Such a good way of putting it. So I was so excited that the Shiny Happy People documentary came out on Amazon Prime a couple days ago. Like, if you have any skin in the game for having your own religious trauma or relating to it or being interested in it, it's so good. And it's it was a really powerful way 
for survivors of like the independent fundamentalist Baptist cult and the other little cults that exist within it to share their stories. And it's a basically about the Duggars and this religion is what the Duggars were like having huge families obsessively dressing modestly purity rings and purity culture essentially having arranged marriages and courtships saving your first kiss for marriage what girl defined talks about and girl defined was in the documentary they weren't interviewed but their clips were shown basically Mm. as like a warning that girl defined is just as bad as the duggars even though they girl defined looks more modern and trendy they're just as dangerous um just like our catholic religion it's patriarchal and no surprise to anyone here sexual abuse runs absolutely rampant and goes completely unchecked and there's no resources to do anything to help the problem and shame is the predominant tool that's used to control the members just like in the catholic church um so we're gonna start the episode by playing some clips that are just like perfect examples of how dangerous sexual shame is and like last time i mentioned suicide is a mental health symptom and side effect of sexual shame and there are some examples of that um suicidality not suicide completion in these examples so just fyi bill gothard is essentially the cult leader of this organization called um the institute of basic life principles iblp which is related to the independent fundamentalist baptist religion movement and he is a cult leader and he sexually abused many people there's evidence court cases lawsuits Um, And his victims have been victorious in court before against him. Every two weeks we would go to Walmart. I bought a box of tampons. When you get back, they go through your stuff. And they took them instantly. And I couldn't have them anymore. They were like, these are a form of pleasure. And I got locked in my room because I took my own virginity with them and, like, robbed my husband of the right to break my hymen. You know, so they took my devil sticks. You'd go through these sessions where they would grill you on what you did wrong and how you could do it better and over and over be forced to confess. Shame was a tool that really kept all of us in line. I feel like shame uh, was killing me. The Oklahoma City Training Center, they sealed the windows shut so that we couldn't go out on the ledge and attempt to commit suicide. One day, I see my housemate with a big knife to her throat. She's like, the Bible says that it is better to put a knife to your throat than to be a glutton. Wait, what? What? This Bible verse brought you to this place? They worried about us becoming the best godly females for our husbands. So it was about, you know, this maintaining of your weight. We had people right in front of us that needed the biggest help, and all we ever did was throw prayer at them. 
I have chills from that. Yeah, it's reminding me of everything we talked about in the last episode. It's really wild how far they're willing to take it to, like, equate sex with dealing with your menstrual cycle. Like, what are they expecting her to do? First of all, the whole idea of the hymen is completely misunderstood. Your hymen is literally a little piece of tissue that can break at any time. It can break when you're a baby. So nothing about having a hymen or popping a cherry, the most disgusting term, it's not real. People have broken it from doing, like, normal things. Like, I've heard people who broke their hymen from going, like, water tubing or, like, going horseback riding. Like, there was never a time in my early sexual experiences where I was like, oh, yeah, that was the time I popped my cherry. Like, I don't know when that happened. It probably happened when I was a kid being active. So that's just idiotic. And... Anyone with a brain knows that nothing about a tampon is pleasurable. And also, things being pleasurable don't equate to being sinful or from the devil. Like, we need to embrace pleasure so we can have a healthier and happier society. And the whole weight thing came up, too. So, these people would, like, live at the center? Yes, sometimes. Not everybody, but that was one of the things that made it a way higher control group than, like, the religion we grew up in. Bill Gothard, because he was a sexual predator, was always trying to, like, get young people to a center. And they would make them do, like, manual labor and stuff and say that it was for God. But really, it was just free labor for him to profit off of and to abuse girls. And, like, he had a type, like... It was blonde girls. What type of labor would they be doing? Literally construction, everything, cleaning. And this was the treatment that Josh Duggar was sent to for molesting his sisters and other people. The way they dealt with it was just sending him to Bill Gothard to do manual labor. How was how did that get like approved by the court the police officer who initially took the charges is currently serving 26 years in prison for having child sexual abuse material like did he process the charge and then was like okay instead of going to prison for molesting and sexually abusing a family member you can go to bill gothard's center how is that any different than whenever priests do that they just get sent to like another parish when did you watch this it just came out a couple days ago you have to watch it i am one of many 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 young ladies that bill preyed upon and took advantage of I would walk by and sometimes he'd be like, oh, I wonder who he's praying with now. But then I couldn't really bring myself to like really look in or stop and and take a peek. So many other girls were going through that exact same experience and none of us felt that we had even the ability to say anything to anybody because we wouldn't be heard if he were to, you know, do anything wrong. I brought it upon, upon him. Wizard Book 36 teaches the law of crying out 
which is that if a woman is sexually assaulted and she doesn't cry out to God for help while it's happening, she's equally to blame. It's a teaching that basically resituates sexual assault as the victim's fault. In one of the morning wisdom searches, they had us go around in this circle and talk about if we had been attacked or molested or raped and what we did to deserve that attack. I was involved in cheerleading and gymnastics. You know, kind of dancing around there in a short skirt. She had no clue how guys thought. And, and how so... defrauding that was. Because defrauding is stirring up desires in someone that cannot be righteously fulfilled. All of these examples were just existing as a person. Like, oh, well, did you see how short her skirt was? It was like, oh, did you see that, like, she had to bend over to scrub the floor? Like, you can't exist without being accused of tempting a man to attack you. That is literally exactly how I felt when I had to walk past John Quinn's classroom for two years to get to my religion class. And I just would try not to even look in that direction. And oftentimes out of the corner of my eye, I would see him grabbing someone else, could be male or female, doing the creepiest things to them. And I would just almost be like, thank God he's preoccupied today so he can't get to me. Well, you and a number of other students have obviously come forward either anonymously or non-anonymously. But even with those numbers, you know there are even more. And there, there is one other police report against John Quinn. Recently? No, it was from before me, and I have it, because you can request it from the Oak Park Police Department, who filed it. It was a man who I don't know, and I looked him up on Facebook, and we don't have any mutual friends and I'm not going to reach out to him because the police did try to get back in touch with him when my stuff came up. And NBC also tried to get in touch with him and he didn't respond, which is completely his right. And, you know, there's just been so many stories about uh, John Quinn. This is the last one. When you track Gothard's teaching long enough, you see that what we're talking about is the playbook of a powerful narcissist and a dynamic where there's not any institutional checks and balances put in place. You look at all the different stories, all the different families, you look at all the different campuses, everywhere you go, you're gonna see the exact same thing happening. Abuse shows up in everything that it touches. Shortly after I arrived home from headquarters, I came across a website called recoveringgrace.org. Recovering Grace was a community online for people to share their stories of the abuse that they experienced in ATI and their own personal stories of recovery. And it is where a lot of the momentum came about to push back against Bill Gothard for his sexual harassment. On the front page, it was titled Sexual Harassment at Headquarters. On impulse, I jumped in the comment section and I said, hey, this is my story. A few days later, I got a phone call from Bill. He was livid. He just lit into me for 
an hour on the phone and said I needed to remove the comments immediately. He started calling multiple times a day. You know, you have this kind of parallel of Bill Gothard abusing young girls in his program and Josh Duggar abusing young girls in his home. A lot of these stories started being shared on Recovering Grace and so many similarities came up. What Bill was accused of ran a pretty wide gamut. Grooming behavior, petting hair, touching hair, long and comfortable hugs. One woman turned around and he was sitting at the desk and she could see that he had an erection underneath his pants and his legs were spread out. He was staring intently at her. It's story after story after story of that. And it almost feels like whatever was repressed inside of Gothard was spilling out into him testing boundaries of like how far he could go with someone before they freaked out. There was one woman who accused Bill Gothard of rape. That's just like the Catholic experience to a T. Well, also so interesting that they would just really try to drive home that like saving sex for marriage, saving sex for your husband, but this man is literally going around and like coercing people into doing sexual things or raping them under his very careful supervision. It's just so bad, honestly. I've been like raging on social media recent well always but recently what I've been raging about is that like in Illinois the state's attorney just found out that there were like 2,000 cases of Catholic priests sexually abusing kids that they were supposed to report and they didn't report and um, even one from Oak Park because now the list of names is published I have just been like fuming about this because this is like really hard to admit on a personal level but it's like I don't know anyone who comes out of being sexually abused unscathed that shit fucks you up so bad and so that's 2,000 people 2,000 kids just recently like you know the real number nationwide is probably in the hundreds of thousands if not millions internationally it has to be millions because the catholic church is everywhere and just like the what the guy said like the the problem of abuse shows up in every little community and chapter because it's like a protection it's like this like security net where you can it's like an invisibility cloak where like people can use it to mask a lot of horrible things and cover up a lot of horrible things and then because it's so private and almost siloed away under its own jurisdiction they can deal with it how they see fit or it's exempt from common law practices of how any other abuse might be addressed and handled now this is a good place to like pivot into some of my notes from where we left off you said a lot of his victims have like one not a lot but it has happened they said that like mr gothard said that he took a minimal amount of money like drove a shitty car which like you obviously know that's not the case there's so much like fraud like money being dealt with within the church it would be really interesting to see 
where the funds came from for how he had legal help. Was he tapping into like center funds to pay for his representation? Because you know he probably had a really great lawyer. There's no way he's paying for that himself. It was probably paid for by the church or the center or whatever. Was that addressed in the documentary at all? Yeah, it was. And you're exactly right. And Because that's literally how it always happens. I mean, the Archdiocese of Chicago sold a multi-million dollar property in downtown Chicago for the sole purpose of trying to silence Catholic abuse victims in court. So they sold the property so that they could use that money to like defend people? Yes. All of the money went to that. That's so fucked, dude. And the thing that's also so fucked about that is like, don't those properties not get taxed the same way as other properties? Mm -hmm. So it's like they're already saving so much money on not being taxed, which it's like, if you're going to use your property to like literally abuse people, you should be taxed. Like, why do they get to, like, like, why do they have their own set of laws? I'm so confused. It's honestly, like, because of, like, white supremacy and, like, Christian white supremacy. There is absolutely no separation between church and state at all. And, like, exactly, like, with what Ron DeSantis has been doing, he's Catholic, by the way. Yeah. To To the people who think they're progressive Catholics, like, then come claim... Your boy. That's your boy. (laughs) Come get your man. (laughs) The thing that's, like, really fucking sad about this is that most people who become sexual abusers have been sexually abused themselves, but not everybody who's sexually abused becomes an abuser. And I think it has everything to do with the care you receive and the resources you have in the community you're in and like if you have access to like progressive ideas because I can't imagine like doing the things that people did to me to someone else like I I spend so much time like honestly getting really upset about that like how can someone do that to a child like that question really feels like it will be the death of me a lot of the time I think it is because I had the privilege of being in a community where there's so much good stuff going on and not my catholic community I'm not talking about that one I'm talking about like my town and the social justice movements I had the privilege of being around that encouraged me to not accept the the bad way that things are and that we all deserve a healthier and better future. Whether the problem is racism, something that has never affected me as a victim, or sexism, which has, or homophobia and all those things. Like, I'm so grateful I got to be around people who care about other people. I also think there's a huge difference between like growing up in a community where you are just in general not hearing about certain issues and things and you're sheltered from it so that eventually when you're older and you are exposed to it, it's like shocking. You're like, I didn't I didn't even know this existed. Like for all I knew, like the first 20 years of my life, X, Y and Z, it didn't exist to me. 
And then there's a difference between growing up in a community where you are hearing about those things, but it's presented to you in a way that it's like, this is something that people talk about, but like, we're going to deny it's real. Like, this isn't real. And then having to unlearn that, it can be just as shocking, but like, in a different way. So, yeah, exactly. Um, So, honestly, some of the notes that we left off the last episode on are exactly about this, like... Shame is used as a tool to perpetuate sexual abuse. One phenomenon is the sexual narcissism. When people feel entitled to get sex from someone, sexual narcissists also often see women as the gatekeepers to sex. They're often aggressive or violent, hypersensitive to criticism, have the expectation of being praised all the time, and a lack of concern for the other par- partner's pleasure this just screams like entitled christian white man to me i mean it describes bill gothard to a t wait i have a question about this point the sexual narcissism one that you just defined um seeing women as the gatekeepers of sex is the aggressive or violent hypersensitive to criticism in relation to women or sexual narcissists? The sexual narcissists are aggressive, violent, and hypersensitive to criticism. Like, don't see themselves as a sexual narcissist. Or, like, don't see anything wrong with their behavior. Yeah, they just think that they get to act this way. And that the other person being, like, just pretend it's in a heteronormative context, like, the other person, the woman is the one who's at fault that has the problem yes like that she's tempting him i really just can't with like that women are tempting men by their bodies or what they wear like i just want to ask like are men so fucking ignorant and barbaric that they can't control themselves and have to violently sexually attack a woman because they can see her legs like are you that fucking ignorant well even catcalling like there's just this assumption that like you exist to be stared at and be seen and be commented on and like that's your sole purpose where it's like if you get mad at someone for doing that which i would think that is the normal reaction after being catcalled to be like what the fuck like you just feel so like You feel so vulnerable and... Violated. Violated, yeah. And it's it's just this very twisted thing where I feel like a lot of men are like, well, I'm giving you a compliment. It's like, but as a woman, we know that just giving a compliment can be taken so much farther to the point where like we are put in a really dangerous, unsafe position. So anytime I get catcalled, I assume the worst. I'm like, you see me and you see something that you like, it could end there, or it could end in me getting completely hurt. I feel the same way. Like, when someone can't calls me, I'm my body and brain are immediately telling me that I'm in danger of being sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sexualized anger is a sexualized thought or behavior that is used to disavow a sense of shame by engaging in a sexualized thought or behavior that's intended to evoke shame or humiliation in another. 
So I know that's kind of a wordy definition, but this is basically how people who are abused come to abuse others because they're trying to deal with the shame and humiliation that they felt by causing that to someone else. It's almost like they're trying to like, in a way, normalize it, like make it like, well, this happened to me and it felt wrong, but if it happens to everyone else, maybe it'll feel less wrong. Yes, exactly. And so sexualized anger is driven by shame and it's a sign of someone having low self-worth. It's a lot of projection, like you just said, and it can be directed at a previous relationship figures or acted out towards a current object, basically just a person that they decide is going to be the victim And it also comes from a place of having a lot of distortions about self-worth. This was something that was really jarring to me because I really can't imagine like hurting another person, especially sexually. But I kind of had an experience with sexualized anger in my own way that led to self-harm. Because I I definitely felt this. Like, when I started being sexualized at a young age, I tried to disavow my sense of shame by engaging in sexualized behavior where it was just me acting out sexually, trying to hook up with as many guys as possible because I just wanted to enjoy what I thought sex was so badly because I thought then it would stop the harassment and abuse would stop having such a big impact on me because for me there was no distinction between like sexual abuse and sex in general like it was when I was young it was all it was one thing to me and that's just what I thought sex was that was like really scary to me to figure out that I had actually experienced this type of sexualized anger that like it could have led to like me victimizing someone else. I'm obviously so glad that it didn't but it's also sad that it in a way I kind of just victimized myself even further and that's really common. That kind of made me think of I guess more of a question for how you elaborated on the definition wouldn't you also say that like because if that's sort of like the foundation of what they are assuming is normal a normal sexual experience or a sexual experience that they're trying to like normalize and rationalize in their brain as like like inflicting that on other people like how their relationship with fear and pain how they think like that has to be part of sexual experiences because like one of their sexual experiences or their first experience being sexualized came from a very fearful place like that they feel okay putting someone else in that situation where they're like well this is how it's supposed to be which is absolutely not the case but like I don't know like the psychology behind that is really deep and heavy trying to like figure out how someone after going through that and enduring that could put someone else through that like has to fuck up the brain chemistry so much absolutely that's actually my next point 
Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> this can be like a root cause for a lot of the things we tend to think of as sexual problems. Like sexual dysfunction is the most simple one that comes to mind. So sexual problems are often adaptations to previous unsafety that no longer serve us. So for example, like disassociating. So like if you disassociate in a bad sexual experience, that is your brain trying to help you and like fighting for survival. But that comes at a really massive cost to your body because it just sets you up to have a lot of problems later on, like PTSD, where then you're like remembering the things you tried to dissociate from. Or maybe you just get caught in this vicious cycle where you keep disassociating. It's an adaptation that was probably life-saving, but it's a really big obstacle to long-term mental health and thriving. So some like symptoms that can come from this are detachment from your own body and its capacity for pleasure I definitely like have dealt with that and now like I'm really realizing like I need to rethink a lot of the stuff about my sexuality like I kind of just want to try to start from a blank slate and be like I did not know anything about like my sexuality or healthy sexuality because it all came from a place of like grown men sexualizing me at a young age and that's where everything started for me in terms of everything I know or experienced with sex can you say more about the detachment from your own body is that like the type of thing where like while you're having sex like are you just you mentally go to a different place or like it's yeah yes like definitely what you just said mentally going to a different place And also just like not knowing your body, having a lot of shame about your body, maybe genital shame, not knowing how to experience pleasure or have an orgasm. Like, because I didn't have an orgasm until I was 21. But I was sexually active like by the time I was 15. So I can't do math, but that's a lot of years where... I was having a lot of sex and it never felt good. I think it would be, and this could be another episode where we're briefly like reverting back to even like this bulleted section, but like faking it. Mm-hmm. Such a thing. This can also cause genital pain, like vaginismus, which I have. I remember that. And you're. We can cut this out, but didn't your doctor, like, she completely confirmed that, like, you had that and was like, oh, you should get a vibrator. Yes, that's why I got that $100 vibrator. (laughs) Yeah, like, I have vaginismus and I always have for as long as I can remember. And it's basically just, like, sex is often really painful because your vagina muscles are like clenching so bad because your body does not want whatever's about to happen even if your mind is like I'm into this this is consensual it's like the trauma impacted your body in such a way that it's those muscles are like not gonna it's remembering it's like a muscle memory yeah 
of like we've been through this before and it like wasn't good yeah like I've had a lot of like really painful sex that like of course when I was a raging alcoholic that helped the pain and I think that was probably like a big reason for me even drinking a lot I mean there were a lot of reasons but that was definitely one because I knew I could have sex without feeling anything and I was essentially on this like mission to prove to myself that I could have sex and like be normal like whatever that means that is a really interesting point that I did not even know that alcohol helped you have sex what because it like relaxed those muscles because I would just drink till I couldn't feel anything so it's like even if it hurt like I either don't remember or yeah I think it maybe did relax the muscles but then of course they probably tighten up again like with a vengeance did you ever have sex when you were like high from smoking weed of course (laughs) well did it have the same effect as alcohol like because it's a depressant would it like relax you yeah like anything any substance would help me have sex without thinking about my problems did your doctor when she confirmed that you had vaginismus like ever inquire about any sexual trauma that doctor was such a bitch and it wasn't even the catholic one I was like so desperate for help in that office and it could have just been such an amazing opportunity for some type of like intervention or wake up call for me and she was just a cold hearted bitch. Was she a doctor? Because I had one like that. Okay. No, this was in California when I was in college. Yeah, she just like really didn't provide any help but and. She didn't even say, like, this could be a result of, like, sexual abuse or sexual assault. I, because I asked. I was like, do you know, like, what caused this? Yeah, I remember you asking that because we were like, what, how does this even happen? Yeah, and, like, she was like, well, like, if you've, if you've had sex and then, like, felt bad about it. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, well, no shit I feel bad about everything. And then, like, I called my mom afterwards and was, like, crying. And I was like, I don't know why, like, I'm so upset about this. It was just one of those situations where there was one thing that needed to be said and nobody was going to say it. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially me. Well, it's, like, a scary thing to put out there. But it's, like, I would think... Like, that's a doctor's job to be like, I'm just going to throw something out there. It could be completely wrong. But, like, as your care provider, I kind of need to be, like, introducing these conversations to you as a possibility so that, like, we can try to work together to figure this out. It's just another example of how, like, sex being so taboo in our society just, like, really harms everything related to our wellness. So yeah, I don't know like when or if my vaginismus is <laughs> going to go away, but I do know that it's the bane of my existence. <laughs> is it just pain when you have sex or like masturbate or is it constant? That is a really good question and that is something I have been thinking about a lot because I have this like phantom pain in my vagina all the time. I kind of attribute it to being, like, maybe from something I don't remember happening or 
I don't know. But one time I did. So when I was in my outpatient program for substance abuse for like seven months, I loved my groups I was in, but I had the worst like individual counselor who was just so bad. And one time, like, because therapists are always like, where do you feel this in your body? And I decided to like be honest. And I was like, I feel this in my vagina. And she just, like, didn't help me at all. And, like, I could tell she kind of thought it was weird. So then from then on, I just went back to saying, I feel it in my stomach. I feel it in my stomach. But it's like, no, I actually, like, feel this in my vagina. And that probably is where the vaginismus comes from. And I know, like, what it is related to. Like, probably a time when I did feel like actual pain down there that like that something that shouldn't have happened. It's like, how do you deal with that? Because I feel like so much of the body is controlled by the brain. And like, I've specifically even learned a lot in the past year about how the stomach and the brain are related. But I don't think it stops at the stomach by any means. Yeah, this is such a crazy thought, but like, do you think there's like acupuncture for the vagina? I've told my acupuncturist in the past that I have vaginismus and I'm like, I don't know if there's anything you can do to like help this. And they've said that there is, but no one's ever like mentioned anything about actually doing it down there. Yeah. And that, that would be really uncomfortable for me. But there have to be pressure points that are all related that stem back to that area of your body. Like, I used to get acupuncture for my acne. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, that seems crazy. Regardless of what my acne was related to, whether it be stress or some GI problem, like, I don't know. But, like, not that you should be, like, sticking needles into your vagina, but, like, there has to be something that that is related to. I could honestly be so content just never having anything inserted in any holes ever again. Me too. And like, I'll just flick it from the outside. (laughs) No, like actually, I've been thinking about that so much and like I just find, I really wish... There was a part of me that was, like, attracted to women because even though I know all relationships have their own challenges that you're going to face, like, I really wish that felt like an option for me. But, like, I also am very just put off by the idea of sex, maybe for some similar reasons that you are and probably some different ones. But, like, I, I genuinely feel the same way that you do, that, like, I think I could be okay forever like not doing that with another person same and it just being like an individual one-on-one activity same (laughs) (laughs) i relate to everything you said so much (laughs) um well okay back to the list of like symptoms that can come from all of this the next one is anorgasmia which just means trouble orgasming I definitely this problem has gotten better as I've been older because like I'm able to like well first of all I know how to do it on my own now which for for so long I didn't because I didn't even know like what a clitoris was like I kept hearing about it 
but I didn't even know until I was 21 and I got that insane vibrator that was like, (laughs) that thing was gonna find it. (laughs) Um, but it's like now, I guess I should celebrate this progress because in my past two relationships, I have been able to orgasm. Hmm. Okay. Nice. Do you ever have trouble orgasming? I do. Like, when I'm having sex with another person, I don't when I'm doing my own thing. (laughs) I mean, thank God, because we're 27 years old. It's like, that's the bare minimum. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't have a desire to do that with another person, like, at all. And that, like, could change. But it's nice to talk to you about this. And I've talked to other people about this who, like, share a similar point of view. It's not always the same. But, like, when I think about it myself, I'm like, maybe this is, like, twisted and unnatural. But I really don't think it is. I think we're just fed up and completely fine, like, that being our own thing, at least for now. Yeah, I mean, the reason... Because it's like, you and I, were both, like, naturally attracted to men, and we always have been, but, like, as we've gotten older and, like, had to live this existence in so much misogyny, it's just, like, not worth it for us to subject ourselves to, to a situation that could become very traumatizing. Right, and I, in a non-joking way, and in a way that I'm trying to be as not offensive as possible. I just find interacting with men very like exhausting. And sometimes like I don't I don't want to make the time for it. I personally am not the type of person that if I'm going to like hook up with someone, I'm not just going to like be like, "Oh, it's you. Like let's go." Like I feel like I don't it's really hard for me to be sexually attracted to someone if I don't in some way know them or have gotten to know them and like find something about them that I like and find attractive outside of like their physical appearance and I feel like that's the same way for so many people like I'm not (laughs) trying to say like I'm so different (laughs) but right now I just like have no desire to like get to know a man in that way or like hang out with men I think I've been thinking a lot about how like I don't really have that that many male friends that I see on a consistent basis that I hang out with that are just friends and I'm like kind of fine with that it is exhausting it's exhausting to put yourself in a position where you could be degraded and like treated as less than So then the other symptoms are, I love how it's taking us like hours to get through this list of symptoms. (laughs) We just have so much to say and that's fine. (laughs) I mean, this shit's real and this stuff has been like, I can trace all of the problems in my life back to these things. So, um, Mm -hmm. the other things are performance, anxiety, um, premature premature ejaculation delayed ejaculation and erectile dysfunction so like actually a really common myth is that erectile dysfunction is from performance performance anxiety but that is like way too simplified it's it's like how vaginismus is impacted by so many different factors it's impacted by 
anxieties and fears that I have that might not even be sexual. It's impacted by childhood trauma and all of these different things. Even like fear of death or someone who's like experienced a lot of death in their family, they they can struggle with sexual dysfunction. So like I don't want anyone to ever feel any shame about having like sexual performance issues because the odds are kind of against you because everything impacts our sexuality and the problems we have are going to come up in this way. And then this was so funny. They actually said this in the class. So coital dysphoria is post-nut clarity. The feeling of sadness, anxiety, agitation, or aggression after orgasm in sexual intercourse or masturbation. For years, I would feel this after masturbating because, like, I felt like I had done something really wrong. Mm-hmm. Wait, me too. Yeah, you said that in the last episode. And being like, okay, this is the last time. Like, I can't do this again, almost. Like, and it's like, mm, well, we all know that's not going to happen, so. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I kind of went through this, um with like porn too because like obviously I had no understanding of what porn even was and like you and I were both really impacted by the documentary Hot Girls Wanted and that's such an important documentary to understanding like the porn industry has some really serious shit they need to get sorted out. Wasn't Mia Khalifa in that? I think she was like her story was featured so briefly, like, touched on. And then Alex Cooper actually had her on Call Her Daddy. I know you you don't listen to that podcast anymore. You should listen to that episode because it was actually, like, her story is so crazy. And, like, the way her name has gained popularity because of what happened to her in the porn industry, like... She's mentioned in rap songs. It reminds me a lot of, like, Monica Lewinsky, who was Mm. a victim. Mm -hmm. And Mia Khalifa, like, was a victim. Yeah. And she is... Where is Mia? She mentions religion because she grew up in a... She was born in Lebanon, and she was, like, very publicly shamed by people within her culture and her religion for what was, like, done to her. Yeah, no, that's all really important stuff. Um, But, like, so, like, when I first had an orgasm when I was 21, I was kind of, like, coming to terms with the fact that I had been, like, violated a lot and really, like, tried to, to separate, like, sexual assault and sex and, like, figure out how to get this shit under control for myself so that I could stop feeling so terrible and like drinking so much and so when I got the vibrator I started watching porn and using it and that was the first time I like experienced pleasure could be relaxed could have an orgasm and I finally created this like safe place like by myself where I could like get to know myself And then I made the mistake of, and it kind of just came up naturally in conversation with some Catholic female members of my family that were older than me, that like people watch porn and I've seen porn and I'm 
and I didn't know any of the problems about it. And they just, I mean, they, they were coming from a place where porn is the devil and that like, if their husbands ever watched porn, it would be the ultimate betrayal and that like, it's so sinful and disgusting. And they really just made me feel like absolutely disgusting. And like, they made me feel like a harlot. (laughs) Like how old were you when you had this conversation with them? I was fucking 22 or 23. God. And, like, and then, like, things were said about me, like, behind my back that, like, I ended up finding out through, like, slightly unethical means on my behalf. Um, And it was just really hurtful and just made me feel really like dirty and broken. And then now like that one safe place I had to experience sex, like was no longer safe because I, I was having this post not clarity where I would feel so guilty about like watching porn and stuff. And like now I just, know that those people were so wrong and that was completely my right to set up like that safe place for myself just to have that one place where I could be sexual because it had to be alone like it couldn't be with another person and like I'm still kind of in that space where like I think for me right now like it does have to be alone like it is way too traumatizing to be with another person because I just keep like reliving the past but all this is to say so I'm gonna be applying for my license in ASECT the American Association of Sex um, Counselors, Educators, and Therapists ASECT is like an ethical board that like hands out licenses to people who meet their standards and ASECT no longer is calling sex and porn addiction an addiction. They're not willing to go as far as to call it an addiction. It can still be problematic, dangerous, all those things they will help you work through it. But so many people come to their therapists and say, I have a sex and porn addiction and it's because of like mostly religious indoctrination making them feel so guilty about watching porn and masturbating that even if they are masturbating once a day they think they have an addiction and something that one of my teachers says that he asks his clients a lot well is well if you were married and you were having sex every day would you still call it an addiction if you're masturbating, he was like, newsflash, your penis doesn't know what's on the other side. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> and it's so true. Like, can we it please is. just stop being shamed and feeling guilty about touching our own bodies? Right. Like, well, what are your opinions on porn? I feel very concerned about porn. Like, Mm -hmm. that's... But I'm not against it by any means. Right. And, like, I really feel like if we want porn to get better, we have to, like, start shifting to a sex-positive society where we can actually talk about these things. It's the same way I feel about sexual abuse. Like, we have to get to the root of the issue, which is, like, changing society's attitudes about all of this So that things can come to light. Because like right now, so much is still happening in the dark. Even with the Me Too movement. And it's like, 
in order to figure this stuff out, like, we have to be able to talk about it. It needs to not be such a, like, behind closed doors or, like, I think it's important to, like, do your own research on your own time, but, like, that shouldn't be where it ends. Like, the conversations are what makes it so normal or just, like, easier to, like, not internalize and feel like you're doing something wrong. Right. Which kind of goes back to the point in the last episode when we are like, porn's not going anywhere. Like, it's getting bigger. It just needs to change. It needs to be a little bit more regulated. Right. Like, it definitely needs to be more ethical. Like, consent needs to be at the very forefront of everything. I mean, there's so much, like, porn out there that's considered ethical porn. And, of course, that's not what I was watching because I didn't even know that that was an option for me. Yeah. I feel like when I first heard about porn, like... The first thing that even still comes to my mind now, it's like porn, it's like the most insane shit is going on. And like, that's it. But then the more research you do, like, like you're saying, like there are more ethical, consensual forms of porn. Yeah, there should not be a porn category that's called teen. Who is your audience? And why do you th- why do you think it's okay to even market to those people? about this really insane trip that me and Ailish went on. And just so you guys know, there is a YouTube video that kind of like corresponds with that on my YouTube channel that I made because we did vlog a lot of it. Um, It definitely didn't, the trip didn't end the way we thought it would. So it's like, well, let's just get right into it. Nothing about it was like, went according to plan. It didn't start the way we thought it would either. To give you guys some background, um, when the pandemic first hit in March 2020, I was living in Mexico with my family because I was an English teacher and I used to teach English internationally. And so I had been doing that the year before in Italy And then when my family was moving to Mexico, I thought it would be a good opportunity for me to go and teach English in another country and I could live with them. I didn't have any money, so I essentially kind of had to do it because I wouldn't have had anywhere else to live. And then, like, in Mexico, like, I had a really bad experience and, like, a family friend there, like, assaulted me like it's hard for me to even say that and then like most of the people in the like expat community there like kind of seemed like they turned against me and um I had to tell his wife and like it was awful because he was like a fat old man with two kids and it was disgusting and super traumatizing and so then my drinking got really bad and then the pandemic hit and 
my schools completely closed and there wasn't any online learning. So I was basically just like sitting in a house in Mexico with my entire family and all this rage and I was drinking all the time and my family was fighting so bad. And so like one night in June, I got into such a bad fight because like male members of my family like we were fighting and they like kind of it triggered something from my past and I like (laughs) told my family I was gonna kill myself and then ran away and like sat in a park until like 1am and I texted Ailish and I was like can I come live with you (laughs) and I was like yeah I would love that so then I I came back and I moved in with Alicia's family and it was <laughs> we had our own issues but <laughs> they and they were having like the same issues like they were all fighting too so now I was just in this other family that was all fighting but at least it wasn't my family <laughs> <laughs> but you're like one of the only people that I'm like it's fine if you see this it's totally fine like <laughs> I didn't even think anything of it. I was like, yeah. (laughs) You know what I was thinking about? Honestly, like, Ailish, I feel like out of all of our friends, you and I were raised, like, the most similarly. Yes. And my parents really, like, I think had a lot of confidence in your parents' judgment. And I've said this before, like... Even growing up, a condition of me being able to do certain things was whether or not you were going. Because my parents were like, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. Like, they just, they just trusted. <laughs> so I wonder why. <laughs> I think my parents just think your parents are so cool. <laughs> I guess, like, maybe chill doesn't, like, sum it up completely. But I think they're just, like, they know what they're doing. And, like, we think we do, too, but we just want to double check. (laughs) I feel like our families fight with each other the same way. Like, internally. (laughs) Not necessarily saying that's the best, but... (laughs) Yeah, the fights in our family get, like, really unhinged. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And people just say the most insane things. Like, I mean, I used to threaten to kill myself all the time. And, like, that would really make my family annoyed because I actually did try to one time. So I would, like, really weaponize that against them. And I, like, tried to tell them recently. Because I have apologized for doing that. Because now I know that, like, I mean, that is something that, like, really abusive people do like in relationships like if you leave me I'm gonna kill you I mean (laughs) I'm gonna kill myself (laughs) or I'm gonna kill you (laughs) yeah um and it's like I don't I obviously don't want to be like that the reason I would say it it's just because I could I didn't know how to express myself yeah I feel like in the moment too sometimes if you're very worked up it's like you end up just saying the first thing that like comes to mind regardless of whether that's truly how you feel or truly how you want things to come out. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Like it would be like <laughs> it could be like a minor inconvenience and I'd be like I'm going to fucking kill myself. <laughs> yeah. Um 
So yeah, we're not doing that anymore, even though I do think it sometimes. But I'm like, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'll just keep it to myself. So so I came back to Chicago and I like moved in with Alish's family. And <laughs> I was thinking about this recently. We were being so debaucherous during this time. <laughs> like, yeah. Which like, I do kind of feel like when I'm home... I do act like that in general, so I don't think my parents really react to it. Yeah, I didn't feel like they reacted at all. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) And so we were, like, we were drinking a lot. We were smoking a lot of weed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Actually, your mom did get kind of concerned about that. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, my mom just does express general concern for that behavior and continues to do so for me like if I'm smoking weed she's accepted the fact that I do that but she's like just so you know I don't like it but she realizes there's like nothing she can really do about it even when I'm home so yeah when I lived with my parents and I was smoking so much weed it was like such a problem for them I remember you used to go out in like the that area in your backyard like before you go into the basement wouldn't you go there yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) which was like super close to the house so the whole house would smell and then they'd be like were you smoking and I would just deny it like I would get so defensive and I'd be like no like and my eyes why would you accuse me of that completely red and I'd like reek and I'd be like I'm not smoking weed. Yeah, it's like it's offensive for you to even insinuate that, so. (laughs) We were kind of getting, like, cooped up at Ailish's house, and we were like, we want to take a trip, like a road trip, somewhere out in nature, because the pandemic was in, like, full force. And we decided that it, like, we had this thought on, like, a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and we were like, it has to be this weekend. First, we wanted to do, like, glamping, but we couldn't afford any of it. We were looking at, like, yurts and, like, really fancy, like, camping setups. And I remember on Airbnb, like, we would look for anything within, like, a six-hour driving radius, and there were, like, three things available. I think a lot of other people were probably trying to go out in nature, too. And we also had, like, no money, so it had to be, like, we could only pay, like, $100 each. (laughs) Yeah, well, and the amount that we did spend, like, when I ended up telling people that I was, like, friends with from work, they were like, how much did you spend on this? And just so you know, any amount that you say is gonna be too much, so... (laughs) Do you remember how much we spent? I, like, don't even want to know. I think it was, like... 74 each I could honestly look because I I think we booked it on my Airbnb account because I was the one communicating with that (laughs) freak I'm looking it up right now actually because I really just need to know please do I'm gonna look it up too it's 91 a night right now so we spent 134 for one night so that would have been close to 70 bucks each Because we got there on Saturday, spent the night, and then can you imagine if we booked it for two nights? We would have had to leave a day early because it was so scary. And smelly. I don't even know how you fell asleep that night. 
I do. I was, I was up all night being like, I have to keep watch. Like, we're going to get fucking murdered. I, like, drank a lot more than you. Which I didn't even know. I feel like I always just was drinking more than other people. I don't even remember us bringing alcohol. We brought wine and I drank almost the entire bottle. (laughs) Oh. Okay, I'm like just looking at the Airbnb listing for this place right now and I don't understand how it has all these positive reviews. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right, because yeah, there's already something that's coming to mind. (laughs) So we settled on this tiny, tiny little cabin in Iowa. I think we can say the name mcgregor no not well yeah that's fine but like the name like the oh yeah i think that's fine so we settled on this place that was referred to as a shed and the pictures were pretty cute like Mm -hmm. and there were even pictures in the listing that like someone had had their wedding there so we were like oh wow this must be really cute but It was not what we thought we were getting ourselves into. Wait, I think it's here. Uh, Your destination is on the right. Alright, I'm gonna go down. Where this is it? Yeah, this is it. Oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> Holy shit. Look at this fucking view. Oh my god. We need to die in this. <laughs> the shed. <laughs> the shed. Oh, it smells. Where did you smell us to park? I'm kind of obsessed. The horse. There's just horses on the property. And I'm like, okay, this is not going to be good for Helen. And it did smell, in fact, like a petting zoo. It's, like, hysterical. There's, like, cowboy boots hanging from the rafters on the front porch. There's, like, horseshoes. All of this, like, cowboy paraphernalia. We walk in and we realize we can smell the horses inside of this little house. And there's, like, so many flies, which is disgusting. So we start like unpacking, put stuff on in the mini fridge. No one from the family was to be found anywhere. We didn't see them. As cute as the house was, it was not functional. There were flies in the house as expected. I mean, it was gross, but it wasn't like the end of the world. Helen did have a fun time trying to kill them. I don't know. Wait, I just saw it. <laughs> I think it's around here. <laughs> <laughs> Patiently waiting. Where is it? <laughs> there we go. What if it just landed on your face and I like slapped it? This would leave a mark. Okay, well I'll just keep this nearby in case it comes back. It's back! <laughs> I swear to god I'm gonna get it! Oh shit. Wait, I found it, Ailish! I found it! The fly? Yes, I swear to God. Okay, just. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got like part of it. <laughs> I'm going through the pictures right now. 
and the picture of the place at night is scary. I think it's scary to me now because we stayed there and had a scary experience. Yeah. But. So when we first pulled up, like, the first thing that hit you was the smell. It smelled so disgusting. It smelled like horse poop. Like, overwhelming. It was really bad. It was so bad. Like, it made you sick. And there was nothing. You couldn't go anywhere to escape the smell. And then we, like, we basically made ourselves, like, incapacitated on substances. So then we couldn't (laughs) drive anywhere. (laughs) And we were stuck there. Can we say what substance we were doing? I'm fine with that. Okay, we were doing shrooms. And, like, we took it in, like, a chocolate bar form. And we both had really wanted to try shrooms. So we just assumed this would be, like, a safe situation to do those in. Because we were like, we'll have a place that we're staying. We're not going to be going anywhere. We're staying overnight. So, like, we don't have to, like, time it to be able to get home by a certain time. Like, we're just going to do this. And that was just very wrong. Yeah, it was not a good idea. (laughs) I also, like, I think we made the mistake of not looking up the correct way of doing that drug. Like, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to, like, look in a mirror or, like, there were certain things that, like, would make it more enjoyable. One of the first things I did was, like, take out my phone and, like, put it on selfie mode and, like, my face was, like, it looked like it was melting off. I went in the bathroom, which, mind you, we had to go into the homeowner's bathroom in his house because there wasn't a bathroom, so we ended up just, like, peeing outside a lot. But I went into the bathroom while I was on shrooms and just start and just pulled up my shirt and started staring at my stomach, <laughs> which is, like, the worst thing. What did it look like? Did it look different? I, I felt like I looked pregnant and I was like, I mean, because we had been eating like unhealthy and like, so I was like a little bit bloated and I was like, oh my God, I'm so fat. Like, do you remember the one time during that situation where we were laughing so hard that we couldn't stop and you had just made that pasta for us and we were laughing so hard and couldn't stop. And you were like, <laughs> you said something like, oh, my God, it's like so frustrating because I can't even enjoy this because we're laughing so hard. <laughs> we laughed so hard for like two hours straight. And like my stomach hurts so bad. And like to the point we had to separate. Like, you had to go inside and I had to stay outside. Like, <laughs> Yeah, we had to like calm ourselves down. But, like, as the hours went on, we were just out here. We barely had any phone service and no Wi-Fi. It smelled terrible. There was no bathroom. The sink was, like, it didn't have a drain, so it was, like, a huge basin. Oh, my God, and we had to dump it out. We had to, like, carry it out. We each had to hold the side, and we would, like, (laughs) wobble out and then dump it. Oh, my God. In, like, retrospect, like, as we were driving home, and this is very apparent in the YouTube video, like, the morning that we left, we were, like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Like, not smart. The fact that we were going someplace that, like, we were not familiar with, we were staying on someone's property where we had to, like, go into their house to use the bathroom and stuff, 
no cell phone service. I wasn't getting any cell phone service. And the Wi-Fi that was on the property was not strong at all. And the way that the parking situation, and I don't, I really don't think they intended for it to like feel this way, but it felt like we were very like parked in. Like it was very difficult to maneuver the car out in the morning. Yeah, because he had like multiple trucks. And he had really bad vibes, but like <laughs> he was so scary. It's starting to get a little bit dark. I mean it's the summer, so it doesn't get dark until like 8:30. We hear these boots walking up the little stairs onto the porch of this tiny little children's house if you will it's like boom 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 and i'm like what the f like we are out in the middle of nowhere the homeowner definitely wouldn't come here we're about to get murdered like someone just knows we're out here and there's a knock on the door and i, I like i'm like panicking so which doesn't make sense what i do next i open the door and i'm like hi meanwhile no mask is on this man it's the homeowner and he's like hey just like wanted to make sure you got in all right and i'm like oh thank you so much like introduce myself introduce helen it's like at a time of night when i would assume he would just be like just want to make sure you're all good like i'm gonna be in the house like call me if you need anything no he like sticks around and talks to us and his dog is like rifling through our trash and he's like leaning in the doorway being really friendly and i'm like so afraid of men so i was like okay um <laughs> it was just really creeping me out at that time of night and he sort of seemed drunk um please leave <laughs> and so then we closed the door and helen and i are freaking out helen's like oh my god he was checking us out like he's so scary blah 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 and i'm like that's starting to fluster me so i'm like no he isn't no he isn't i knew then we just uh, my mind starts racing and we find like this guest book <laughs> Like, fast forward to that, like, from that, when we, like, decided to go to bed and I was, like, completely terrified, one, it was way too late for us to try to, like, leave in the middle of the night. That wouldn't have been safe, but I didn't feel safe at all, so I didn't sleep, and this, I was still probably coming down from the shrooms, but there were these shadows in the yard that, like, looked like shadows of people just standing there, and I got it in my head that, like something bad was just gonna happen because like we couldn't lock the door and it was just not good like that was I would say that was one of like the top five times I have been like very terrified like genuinely like very scared well I feel bad that I just like went to bed and left you <laughs> Well, I I seriously think part of the reason I was so scared was because I was on drugs. Like for sure. I think if I had been sober, I would have felt completely more in control. It's just the fact that I felt like I had no option. Um, and like right before we went to bed, I like discovered this guest book in the house, and oh like oh my god. It was like a picture perfect guest book where everyone had written like these amazing experiences they'd had at the shed and like we were just like how could anyone come here like because you really could not get past the smell like I don't know how people could enjoy their time there when it smells so bad and like 
these stories that people had, it sounded like they had been staying at like a five-star glamping experience. Well, and they would be noting like interactions that they had with the homeowner. And I'm like, this just like isn't matching the interaction we just had. It just seems like First, I'm reading it and I'm like, okay, this is normal. Like, all these people had like great stays, use a super host. This is awesome. I feel so much better. And then Helen proposes the idea what if these are fake entries? <laughs> Please don't say that. What? We're going to get murdered. It was just talking about how, like, oh, the homeowner and his family are like so hospitable. Like, we had a bonfire out in the backyard and they came out and talked to us and had a great conversation. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to hang out with him. So I was so scared that night. We climb up to the lofted bed, flies flying around and like biting us. And it's hotter than hell, but I sleep with the fucking comforter on me because I'm like getting eaten alive by flies. Helen passed out. I could not fall asleep because I kept looking out the window and I saw these shadows that literally looked like three people standing out in the field in front of the house. Are those people, are they like waiting for us to fall asleep? Like I dead ass thought I was going to get killed that night or worse. I'm just gonna go out and say the hypothesis that I had, that being that those were fake reviews. I don't think they were fake reviews because the penmanship was like incredible and all of the handwriting was very different. That there's no way that could be fabricated. That would be psychotic. It's just people who were probably from areas that were very similar to the area that this Airbnb was in, that they were like, it feels like home. Or maybe like there's just so many different situations like we went in the dead of summer and we were getting like attacked by flies and it smelled like shit. So yeah. Yeah it was also really hot and there was no air conditioning yeah. um, or even like a fan. But basically when we found <laughs> this guest book I decided we started reading it. We were like super high and I decided to like say to Ailish. Ailish, what if, like, the homeowner wrote this all himself and, like, I had a conspiracy theory about it? And that, I feel like that was when you got so scared that, like, you couldn't come back from it. Yeah, that destroyed me. I was just like, that's it. Like, uh, we had so many theories and it's like he had kids and he had a wife, but we never saw them. Not once, but all the cars were in. So we were like, we just thought it was weird that we hadn't seen anyone at all from the time we got there until the night. And then the first and only person we see is him when he gets home from work. And he was clearly like intoxicated and was blocking the only exit when he came to talk to us at like 10 p.m. I'm scared of men in general. So I was like, this is where it ends. Like... <laughs> this man is in muddy boots and like a t-shirt with the sleeves cut off and he's sweaty and he's like hey guys yeah and I'm like I've seen this movie before and it does not end well <laughs> yeah we haven't taken a trip since <laughs> it's not even 9 a.m <laughs> we're getting out of here the fuck out of here we just hear these boots come off the little steps boom boom <laughs> 
I'm already fucking paranoid about everything. And he was like, hi guys. <laughs> and I got convinced that he was checking us out. And then I thought so too, but it, I didn't want to say it because I was so scared. Yeah, Ailish was terrified. She didn't <laughs> sleep at all. I went to bed. I we turned the lights off at like... 11 yeah i kept checking my phone i was awake at like 3 15 i just kept looking at these shadows and i was like are those people oh my god uh, and so we were really scared because after he left alan was like okay he was getting friendly he was checking us out yeah and i was like no he wasn't no he wasn't then i was just like yeah he fucking was he was like leaning on the door the dog kept coming in yeah he was like and it's Everything we were talking about, there was, like, long pauses and silences, and it's, like, okay, we're, like, checked in. It's clearly, like, nighttime. We got here at 3, and nobody was home, supposedly. <laughs> and he was, like, yeah, I just had, like, a really long day at work. And I was, like... Yeah, he was, like, covered in dirt. And he looked, like, really disoriented, like, potentially maybe, oh, like, drunk wait, or something. wait, he seemed drunk. Yeah. Now that we used to say that. Yeah. Our door didn't lock. Yeah, there's no lock. It's just a it just a latch that goes like this. So someone could easily open the door from the outside. Yeah. But last night I peed outside at, at 3 a.m. And I saw a shooting star, I oh, think. That's beautiful. <laughs> I went outside to pee alone. I oh. was so scared I was going to see someone. But Helen saw him, like, talking to his... Or heard him talking to his wife in the house. It made us feel better that there was, like, a woman on the premises. Yeah, but at the same time, he was scaring the fuck out of me. <laughs> okay, so anyways, it's, like, 8 a.m., and I can't even think about coffee. I don't even care. All right, it's four hours away. <laughs> <laughs> All aboard. Oh, my God. Never doing that again. Um, never going to. No offense, but um, that was enough to scare me away forever. So, yeah. Thanks for listening to our episode of Jezebel and Friends. Please don't forget to leave us a review if you like the show.